0: What is this? What's going on here? What are you people doing here? I know nothing. Nothing. What is this? Are you trying to trick me? By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. This is Storytime, and I am GamerDude. Glad to have you with us. Glad to have you back for more stories from my childhood and from the present day as well. And I say that because today's topic is going to span my childhood all the way up to the present day because we're talking about politics. Oh, I know, I know, we shouldn't talk about politics. One of the two things that my mother told me never to talk about in public is politics and religion because you're going to alienate people when you do it. But I wanted to talk about politics not to convince you my way versus your way, not to convince you of any particular point of view, but to try to put politics in perspective. I'm recording this before the 2018 elections. It's going to post the day after the 18 elections. And I think it's important to say a few things about politics. So that's why I'm doing it. Now, obviously, since I'm recording this before the election, I have no way of predicting how it came out, what happened, A lot could happen, and I don't know as I'm recording this. I have my hopes, but I don't know. But no matter what happened, the thing that I want to say about politics is this. I do believe that our country will continue. I know a lot of people talk about the demise of the United States. And yeah, it's going to happen at some point. I don't think this is the century it's going to happen in. But all civilizations change. Just look at the Roman Empire. Just look at any empire from history. They all change. They all fade. They all disappear eventually. But I believe that this country is strong enough to get through whatever we're going through now because of what we've been through in the past. Don't forget, this country survived the Civil War in the 1800s. Talk about something difficult for a democracy to survive. Civil War is probably right at the top of the list. And we got through it. And we got through the Great Depression. And we got through a lot of other things that are at least equally as difficult as what's going on now. To be sure, what's going on in this country in 2018 is disheartening and troubling. And it does cause me concern. But I do believe the country can get through it. But the reason that I wanted to talk about politics is... To give you an idea of how things have changed over the years. To give you an idea of where I come from. Because, after all, this is my podcast. I figure you're listening for a reason. So I wanted to give you an idea of what my beliefs were, but where they came from. And that's why the title of the episode is Social Studies 101. Because when I was in school, social studies was important. Social studies was history and government and all the stuff going on in your society. Everything from the town level to the federal level. That was a huge course when I was in school. Now, not all schools, I'm not even sure if any schools, still call it social studies. Some call it history. Some call it government. There's different titles for the coursework that you do in grade school that's supposed to give you the foundation of where this government came from. But when I was a kid, we were taught the very basics of government from the beginning. And when I say the very basics of government, I mean the three branches of the government and what they're supposed to do. How many of you remember that? I remember it because to me it mattered. To me it was important because I was very interested in the government. And at one point in my life, I was actually considering running for office. I'll tell you why I didn't a little later on in the episode. But at one point, I was actually interested in getting involved in government. So I wanted to know how it worked. So we learned early on the three branches of government. You all remember them, right? I'm checking because not everybody paid attention in social studies. I did. I loved social studies. I loved learning about everything that was going on in the country, but I loved learning anyway. So the three branches of government, and this is just a little refresher, I'm not going to be lecturing you, but you have your executive branch, your legislative branch, and your judicial branch. And they each have very distinct areas of power that they exercise equally. And by the way, the three branches of government are equal. No branch is better or superior or more powerful than any other, no matter what any president, no matter what any congressman, no matter what any judge might say. Under the Constitution, all three branches are supposed to be equal. And there's checks and balances. Remember that phrase? I remember that phrase because I didn't understand it when I first heard it. But the checks and balances are built into the system so that the three branches of government act as a check or a balance on the other branches of government. The legislative branch makes the laws. The executive branch enforces the laws. And the judicial branch interprets the laws. That's a very, very brief summary. Obviously, there's a lot more to it than that. But that's the basics of what government is supposed to be about. And we learned that. So if you're In the legislature, if you're in the House or the Senate, you're one of the representatives of the people in your district, and you're supposed to try to enact laws that are representative of your people, or at least take into account their interests. If you're in the executive branch, the president who's in charge of that, or the Department of Justice, which works underneath the president, you're supposed to enforce those laws. And then if you're a judge in the judicial system, And boy, I'm having trouble saying judicial today. (laughs) But if you're a judge in that system, you're supposed to interpret the laws consistent with the Constitution. The Constitution is the Bible. The Constitution is the basis for everything that we do. So you're supposed to be consistent with whatever's constitutional. So this was basic stuff when I was a kid. We learned this and we had this drilled into our heads and we had to understand how all of these interlocking branches of government worked. So all of us had a working knowledge of the way the system was supposed to work. Now I say that because the people who are in power now, a good number of them my age or older, all also had this same background. They all had this education. They all knew And they all should know how these branches of government work. The fact that so many of them seem to disregard it, the fact that so many of them seem to pretend not to know or simply ignore the way things are supposed to go, that's what gives us problems these days. And I'll expand on that in a little bit. But I remember in school the tests that we had and the assignments that we had. We had to know this stuff. This was important stuff. It was drilled into us. It was important to know how these things worked. Not only was it important to know how it worked, but one of our assignments, and I remember this, it was seventh grade, one of our assignments was to make sure that we knew the names of our senators and our local representative. Now don't forget, this is back in the days before the internet. I couldn't just Google my district and find out who my representative was. I had to go look it up somewhere because it was important to know who is my congressional representative and who are my two senators. And by the way, we had to know that, too. That was part of our testing. And for those who don't remember or don't know, each state has two senators. And that's because the upper chamber of Congress, the Senate, is supposed to be equal representation for all of the states. That's why every state has two senators. The House of Representatives is based on population, and each member of Congress represents a specific area of the state. So if you live in an area of your state that's in the upper left corner, you have a particular representative who represents you in the House of Representatives, and then you have two senators who represent you in the Senate. So one of our assignments was to know their names and addresses, and that was one of the questions on our social studies exam. Who are they? It was important. One of the other important things was the differences in the parties. We learned the differences between the Republicans and the Democrats. And we learned the evolution of the parties. And it may surprise you to know that the Republican Party used to be the Liberal Party. And the Democratic Party used to be the Conservative Party. Back in the 1860s, the Republican Party was responsible for passing all kinds of legislation that, to today's Republican Party, would have never gotten off the floor. The Republican Party back in the 1860s favored big government. They were behind the financing of infrastructure, including the creation of the transcontinental railroad system. They advocated the state university system. Public education was important. They pushed for the settlement of the West. It was the Republican Party that did all of this, all of this big government stuff, all of this expansion of federal powers. That was all the Republican Party. Don't forget, the Republican Party these days advocates, supposedly, small government, less government interference, less regulation. Back in the 1860s, when the country was expanding, the Republican Party was behind that. And the Democrats opposed it. And don't forget the Democrats who came back to the United States after the Civil War was over. They were all very conservative, all in favor of states' rights, all opposed to education, all opposed to protections for African Americans that the Republicans favored, much more opposed to social justice legislation. I know that's a bad phrase these days. Oh, social justice. The Republicans advocated for it back in the 1860s and the 70s and the 80s. The Democrats opposed it. I'm not going to go into a whole dissertation about how and why the parties flip-flopped their positions, but it did happen over the course of about a 100 years. The reason that it happened in part was the expansion West. It also happened in part around the turn of the 20th century. This goes back to... A politician named William Jennings Bryant, who was a very influential Democrat, ran for president a couple of times, lost a couple of times. But he emphasized government's role in ensuring social justice through the expansion of federal powers. And that was a huge thing back in the early 20th century because the Democrats had never taken that position. That was the exact opposite of what they advocated. So Bryan blurred the lines between the parties. And as time went on, the Republicans kind of took a step back away from this expansive federal power. Why? This will come as no surprise if you think about it. But when the Republicans were pushing the expansion west, who benefited? Businesses, railroads, banks, all of the traditional Republican Party backers were making money off of this expansion. The small-town farmers, the small-town businesses were not. And that's how the Democrats gained power by catering to their needs and promising them their share of the federal largesse. Now, I could go on and on about this, and I won't bore you with all that because this is not supposed to be a lecture about the development of the political parties. Suffice it to say, though, that they did develop and they did change over the course of time. But the reason that I give you that background is this. When the time came for me to register for a political party, I conducted a very serious debate in my head about which party that I wanted to register for. And this is back in the day when being a member of a political party and being, and being a citizen of the United States was really still more of an ideological thing. I didn't understand the practical applications of what each party stood for and what each party meant. My parents were registered Republicans, and so of course I had that influence on me. And based on my review of what I would learned in school and based on what my parents told me, the theoretical basis for the Republican Party as it existed when I first registered to vote was that it advocated smaller government, more of a hands-off government, more of an individual rights versus states' rights versus federal rights advocate, and more personal responsibility— And to 18-year-old me, that all made sense. Yeah, I don't need the government messing around in my life. You know, as long as the government is making sure the police are doing what they're supposed to do, an important point, by the way, making sure the police are doing what they're supposed to do, making sure the roads are all repaired, another important point, making sure the roads are all repaired, making sure that the machine of society was operating properly. As long as it was doing that, I didn't need too much interference from the federal government, so I thought. But that belief was also premised on my belief at the time that people, by and large, were A, honorable, and B, would do the right thing when they were supposed to do it. And I meant people, every people, every person, everybody, whether you were a small-town businessman or a big-time banker... You would do the right thing. You would do what you're supposed to do. You would take care of the people who worked for you. You would take care of the society in which you lived. You would take care of the town where your business was situated. You would do what you're supposed to do. I believed at that time that that was the case. So with that belief system in the back of my head, I registered as a Republican because that was the Republican Party that I grew up with. I didn't realize at the time how rigged the system was And how rigged the system still is. The system is rigged against poor people. The system is rigged against people of color. The system is rigged against anybody who's not an old white guy. I'm sorry, but that's the way it is. I'm not going to harp on that too, too much. But if you can't see that, then you haven't been paying attention. But when I registered, I believed that there wasn't a need for government regulation because... I didn't think that a business owner would dump waste into the river because it was easier than cleaning it up. I didn't believe that a business would knowingly pollute the environment because why would you do that? I mean, back in the day, I didn't believe that people would unwrap a piece of candy and just throw the wrapper on the ground, throw it in the garbage. But I was very naive when I was young. I believed that people were generally good people who would do what they're supposed to do. And quite honestly... If people did do what they're supposed to do, then the Republican Party that I registered in made sense. But people don't do what they're supposed to do. Businesses don't do what they're supposed to do. Business owners don't watch out for the people that they employ or the town in which they live. People, shockingly to me, people actually operate more out of self-interest than taking care of the people around them, the people that work for them, or the town in which they live. I was shocked to learn this. And I say that a little facetiously, but I honestly was shocked to learn this. I was shocked to learn that people would embezzle money. I was shocked to learn that people would dump toxic waste into rivers. How could this happen, I thought. When I initially heard of legislation like the clean air legislation or the clean water legislation that has passed over the years, I initially thought, well, what's the need for that? I mean, that's just unnecessary regulation. Until I started reading the stories about companies that would use asbestos in their product, companies that would dump toxic waste into rivers, companies that would burn coal without filters, I used to think, why do you need a federal minimum wage? That's unnecessary government regulation. Why do you need a mandated eight-hour workday? Nobody's going to make their people work themselves to the bone until I discovered that they did. Not only would they work their people to the bone, but they wouldn't pay them a fair wage. So all of the reasons that I registered as a Republican as the years went by turned out to be less than true, less than valid, less than accurate, and based on a false premise. So for years after I learned how the government worked and how the parties worked, my education process continued. I learned that the things that I believed in weren't necessarily true. So that's when it became important to me to research everybody who was running for office. What did he or she truly believe? What were their actions? What did they actually stand for? I've never been a voter who just pulled the Republican lever. The first couple of years, yes, I was that kind of voter. Well, I'm a registered Republican. I'll just vote for Republicans. Until I realized that people get involved in politics not because they want to serve, but because they want to serve their own interests. And that was a shocking realization to me. Because going back to that education that I was telling you about, those 7th grade social studies classes, it was drilled into our heads that public service is an important thing. And public service is something that you really have to want to do. And being a member of the government meant you were not representing your interests You were representing the interests of those you represented. So you were supposed to take into account what they wanted. You were supposed to take into account the values of the area that you lived in, that you represented. And public service meant sacrificing something of yourself to serve the greater good for everybody around you. That's what public service is supposed to be about. And when I learned that people got involved in politics not to serve the people in their district, but to serve their own interests. It was a shock to me. I truly believed that the government should work the way it was drawn up. I couldn't believe that people would get involved with the government and not serve the interests of the people. It was just mind-blowing to me. Now, there are a lot of good people in politics who've gotten involved in politics for what I consider to be the right reason, which is, representing the interests of the people they represent. And those people still do exist. They still exist in government. And they still exist in the people running for office. But the thing that I've learned is that you have to pay attention. And you have to very carefully consider your choices when voting. Because that's not always the case. As I said, I considered running for office at one point, And I thought I was willing to make the sacrifices necessary. But the problem is that politics is less about serving the interests of your district, serving the interests of your fellow man and woman. Politics is a nasty business now, and you have to have a certain mindset to do it. Yes, it's about serving the country. It still is about serving the country. And it is about doing the right thing and making sure the democracy survives and making sure the interests of all of the people are protected. And it goes beyond the people in your district. Yes, you have to represent the people in your district, but you have to represent the people of the country, too. You have to take that into account. The problem in this day and age is that too few people are willing to do that. Too many people are willing to do whatever it takes to stay in office and to enjoy the benefits of being in office without necessarily doing what they're supposed to do to further the interests of their constituents and of their country. And when I say that politics has gotten nasty, it's because the people who are in it for themselves willing to do whatever it takes to further their own self-interests, to line their pockets, to take advantage of their position at the expense of the people they're supposed to represent, and really at the expense of their country. Too few people remember what nonpartisanship is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about working with people who are Americans, who are in your country, who are part of your citizenry who may have a differing viewpoint than yours, but they don't want to deal with that. They just want to stay in office and further their self-interests. And they'll do whatever it takes, lie, cheat, and steal, in order to stay in office. And that's something that has turned me off of politics and one of the primary factors in my decision not to put together a run for office somewhere along the line. But that said... The people who do run, by and large, a good number of them are in it for the right reasons. And those are the people we need to support. Those are the people that we need to help preserve the democracy that we have. And if we support those politicians, I don't think that we'll have anything to worry about in the long run. There may be a time where corrections are needed and where it will take time to get those corrections effected. It's kind of like trying to stop an aircraft carrier. You can't stop an aircraft carrier on a dime. It takes about six miles to stop an aircraft carrier. But if you put the right people in the position to do the things that need to be done, you can correct the course. Now, the reason that I wanted to do this episode this way is I remember what it was like to learn about the political system. I remember soaking it in, digging into it, understanding it, wanting to know more about it. And I urge you to do the same. Even if you're not taking 7th grade social studies anymore, knowing how the system works and why it works is important to understanding what to do the next time you go to a ballot box. It's more than just voting for a Republican or a Democrat. It's voting for a candidate who gets it, who understands what they're supposed to do. It's not always easy to figure out who that is. But for your vote to mean something, you have to make the effort. And I guess what I'm trying to say is, make the effort. I hope that wasn't too luxury. I hope that wasn't too preachy. As I said, as I do this episode, I don't know how the election is going to turn out. I have high hopes for it. I have hope that the 2018 election will be a course correction, because I think a course correction is badly needed in society. But even if it's not, even if things don't change at all, I still believe that the country will continue, and that it will survive. But it's up to us to help make that course correction take place and to ensure the survival of the country. And if it didn't happen in 2018, you can't give up. You have to keep working, and you have to make a difference the next time around. All right, I promise. Next time, more fun stories. No more preaching about politics or worrying or sad stuff, difficult stuff. We'll get back to the fun stuff next time. Until then, I do appreciate you listening. I do appreciate you taking the time to spend time with me, to listen to my rants, to my reminiscences, to my stories. It means the world to me that you tune in every week and catch up on what's going on. Until next time, you take care of yourselves, and I'll see you when I see you.